Hey, Tall Skulls, Nick here. Just a friendly warning, I guess. About halfway through, apparently my mic had a fit, and it sounds like I am underwater and a robot. Um, it sticks through most of the rest of the episode, unfortunately, but I'm pretty sure it's cleaned up for future episodes. So I apologize. We didn't want to re-record because there's some really good content in here, us talking about Sheep Day Return and the album itself. So please bear with me. I tried to edit myself out as much as possible, so it is a bit omen-heavy on the latter half of the episode, but no one really complains about that. Everybody loves Omen, so uh, bear with me. Sorry about the technical details, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Thanks. Purchase your ticket from the large metallic box, secure yourself a window seat, and write a strongly worded letter to your senator asking for more robust governmental investment in public transportation. Because it's time to talk tall to me. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. We are Feckless Moans, and this is Talk Tall to Me. A deep health check into your tall vital signs a check of your tall pressure, and an in-depth analysis of your flute lipids with Dr. Ian Anderson himself. We take blood samples and check that you have more of the good cholesterol than the bad cholesterol. <laughs> and we will write you a prescription for 30 milligrams of prog rock. Stat. Take two and call me in the morning. Take two flutes and <laughs> repeat as needed. So, Nick, here we are. Here we are, Omen. I uh, I never thought this day would come, but here we are, ankle, maybe even calf deep in Aqualung. That's right. That's right. My my toes are getting numb. I've got, I've got flute water coming in over my waders, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, flute water? <laughs> Is that from the spit valve? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to, you have to, you have to shake it out. It's it's slightly warm Scottish spit. Mm hmm. Scotch, Scotch spit. Scspit, mix spit. Oh gosh. Omen, this week, do you have anything that needs to be addressed regarding the the podcast? No, I I do not. Do you? Omen, do you have anything that needs to be addressed outside of the podcast? Oh, so many things, Nick, but that's a conversation I'm going to have next week with my therapist. (laughs) I have no emails, no addenda, no... What else do we have? We had one more sting. I don't remember what it was. Reviews. Reviews, I guess. Yeah. No, we got nothing. Wow. So with nothing to be addressed, we can jump right into the song for this week. Fantastic. I feel like I'm standing on an infinite white plane of ice with no geographical features. This must be what the afterlife feels like, Nick. The Elysian ice fields? The Elysian ice fields where you have no cell reception, so there's no point in looking at your phone. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you do anyway, because sometimes you think it's vibrating, but it's not. Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes I I just go and look through old pictures. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good. One. Yeah, you just you just stuck with the memories. Yeah. And that's it. And that's the afterlife. So Nick, what are we listening that's to this week? Really dark. This week we <laughs> are listening to the first of our really lovely little acoustic numbers. Uh, just mm. over a minute long. It is cheap day return. Let's have a petit listen. Good French. Thank you. Ooh, how just right. lovely. Right right in my tiny little heart. Yeah. That is, it's it's so beautiful. Yeah, it really is. That's, that's one of those songs that in all the years of listening to Jethro Tull, any time that I hear that, it, even if I listen to it intentionally, it totally catches me off guard. Really? Yeah, I, I have to stop whatever I'm doing and just pay my full attention to that song for its short duration. It helps that it's short, so you like you don't want to miss anything, but also it feels like it's easy to miss because it's so short. It demands your attention in a really peculiar way. I agree, and I think I think because of the very quick the quick change from Aqualung to Cross-Eyed Mary into Cheap Day Return. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you you phased out for those last two, like it's such a drastic switch that 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 alone will pull you back. Yeah, it's such a stylistical change. Yeah. Which is good because I think that after, I mean, if we're talking about the experience of listening to the album, you know, straight through, mm-hmm. let's let's say Let's go on a mind adventure, Nick. Let us. Let's say it's 1971. We put on our corduroy bell bottoms and fluffed our long hair and put on a leather vest and walked down to the record store in our high-heeled men's boots and bought the album Aqualung by Jethro Tull. And then we... I don't know. What else did people do in the 1970s? Did, um... Drugs? And then we did drugs. We did some drug. We had some free love. <laughs> and then we got home, and we were exhausted. And so we, we put on... We took the, the album out of its cellophane and put it on our record player. And kaboom! There it is. There's Aqualung. By the time I have finished this story... I, I think that I may have remembered what the initial question was, Nick. But I'm, I'm I, I don't. I don't. Remember what you, I, know. I don't remember what you asked me. You just oh, said no, we were I going think, on a mind journey or something. Well, was I wrong? Did I not deliver <laughs> oh, a mind oh, journey? Oh, I have my feet are tired. I didn't say let's go to a mind destination, Nick. Fair enough. We're lost. So anyway, so then, so then we listened to the first couple tracks, and those first two songs just hit you like a, a ton of. A ton of sassy bricks, mm-hmm. and and I think they're quite jarring and emotional, especially on account of all the drug 
that, that you've done, which you've still got a bit of on your vest. And then that third song, it just is like, oh, it's like a ray of light breaking through the the dimness. It's like a clean rain which which washes away the carnival filth. Wow. Very evocative. And we're back. And we're back. Well, we made it. Oh, yeah. thank goodness. Open, open your eyes. <laughs> we're back in 2019. Come back to us. I I want... Oh, I, I long mm. for the experience of a new album for a band that I really like and hearing that first song for the first time. Like, I can't even, I can't even put it into my mind. I can't even imagine what it was like, even for people who had been following Tull all along since 69, to go through those first three albums and then hear right. Aqualand, hear that, like, ears bleeding instantly. In a good way. Good, In a good, good oh yeah, like fully, fully rocked ears. Yeah. It's just... It, Aqualung is such, such a a change. It's such a yeah, change, and and like you were saying, like I mean, like we've been saying the, the last three weeks, that you hear those first two songs and you're thinking, oh man, is this whole album going to be like this? Not right, not necessarily right. in a bad way, just like holy cow, they've gotten really heavy, and then Cheap Day Return comes in, just yeah, a little so, snippet, little nugget, it, but about yeah. one fifteen. And they're like, oh, they still got it. They can still play this nice, kind of like mellow, smooth acoustic. Well, but also like this kind of playing isn't really featured on on any other album. I mean, they not that they didn't play acoustically at all before, because like, but there's a there's a sophistication or a almost I, I want to say a maturity in this track mm-hmm. that is not present in the first three albums oh yeah even when they even when they were trying to go for something a little bit sweeter or quieter it still it still came off as i don't want to say adolescent but sophomoric perhaps i was going to use that term yeah it was sort of like it's sort of like you know when you see the college kid on the quad with with the guitar being like i'm so wise and you're like shut yeah get back in the bath yeah you 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 grew up in connecticut you're fine Right. Not that there aren't rough parts of Connecticut. Fair enough. But this song evokes a a real life a life experience, an experience of life, which is which has provided the writer with some real experiences. And if you fold that statement back on itself <laughs> another fifteen times, you will have a blade as sharp <laughs> as that of a of a samurai warrior, Nick. You'll have a Mobius strip of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick. Yeah. Would we... Okay, I'm, I'm torn. Because this song, actually, we could, we could actually... We could actually hear what Ian Anderson has to say about this song. Okay. But I sort of would like to hear what Feckless Moms has to say about this song first. Sure. Great. I like that idea. Yeah. I have some questions for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's both Ian 
and Martin Barr playing the guitar on this song, two two guitars, or is it all Ian, or is it all Martin? Oh, is is there a right answer to this? Like, do you know this answer? No, I oh, okay. I'm, I'm asking you because okay. I don't know. I I'm almost inclined to think there might be three guitars at some points. It huh. feels very very string heavy. It's layered. Yeah. Certainly. Oh, it it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, traditionally we've seen Ian playing acoustic, right? Like these kind of nicer, right. nicer, lighter pieces. Not to say Martin can't. Right. But I think up until this point we haven't really seen it. So maybe maybe Martin's doing just the the rhythm parts. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I don't Let me see if I can look it up really quick. I'm I'm curious. I'm not sure this is a complaint. I think it's this is more just a statement of fact. Like I can't differentiate I can't differentiate guitar styles between Ian and Martin. Right. I don't know that I could confidently do that either. I mean, there's a sound that I attribute to Ian. Yeah. Which is it, it, pretty it, much it just the this... acoustic. Yeah, yeah. So unless we had liner notes, it's not. I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure somewhere it's available on the internet. Yeah, but let's move um, on with our lives. Yeah. Yeah. You know who? You know whose presence I do detect on this song is that John Evan on Squeezebox. I would say John Evan on Melotron. Oh, is there Melotron in there? I think there is. I think if you listen to that, especially like the introduction, you hear these tones, which which I think they sound like an acoustic instrument, which has been, which is which, which has had its soul trapped in a <laughs> in a robotic device, and is being is being forced to reproduce those sounds. They're always so quiet, so quiet and so subtle in the back. I think I always miss yeah. it. Yeah, I heard accordion though, right? Did you hear accordion? I don't know that I did hear accordion. Or am I thinking what 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 I'm thinking is accordion? You're thinking of is mellotron, and and in fact it's some third instrument, the accordatron, <laughs> the melordian, <laughs> the melordian. Oh, that's the that's the new show that's on uh, Disney Plus. Oh, I like that. Hmm. It's a bunch of Elizabethan servants, melordian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's quite good. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, 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 that's that's quite good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, the other thing that I quite admire about this song is that even within a minute and fifteen seconds, it takes us on a journey, a mind mm. journey, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can again, but <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> But it really, it has a lot of movement within that short amount of time. And there's at least 10 seconds of buildup where there's not even lyrics. There's intro to this song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More than 10 seconds, I think. I think so, too. I was being, I was being, what's the word? Hmm. I was being conservative. Yes. That's the last time you'll ever hear that from me. (laughs) Why don't now that we've breached the subject of lyrics? Yeah. Why don't we dive right in? Okay. 
Omen, what do you think this song is about? Oh, Nick, if you were hoping to catch me <laughs> off guard, I'm so sorry. Um, this is a well, it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. And I always we... I always get ones. I always get two ones. <laughs> why don't we first define what a cheap day return? Oh yeah, is. that is that is a good thing to define. It is since it's the uh, the title of the song. Yeah, from from my research, and it seems to make yeah. sense based on the context of the song. Is it's right. it's a it's an off peak ticket essentially. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. A cheap day return. Cheap day return. As opposed to an expensive night voyage. Expensive night return. Yeah. I mean, fortunately for me, since I'm the one to whom you asked the question, this song is one of the more straightforward ones in terms of the lyrics, I think. This, one of the oh, more yeah. sort of literal ones. Yeah, I think so. But but there are references to things that we don't necessarily know for sure what they are. You know, particularly the latter half of the song. The whole does the nurse treat your old man the way she should. This always felt like me autobiographical almost. Mm. And I don't know. Like, I don't know what the health of, of Mr. Anderson was at the time. So I don't know if if Ian Anderson's dad was being seen to by a nurse. Like, completely and utterly guessing at this point. But if it feels, if it feels real to me, yeah, particularly because of the way that it's sung as well. Yeah. What if I told you, Nick, that I could give you a straight answer? I would love a straight answer. Straight from the lips of Daddy Anderson himself. That by that I mean Ian Anderson, who's who's our tall daddy, not. Not not the not the president of the boiler fluid company who is Ian Anderson's daddy. Not not Grandpa Tall, Daddy Tall. Right. Yeah, I would. This is one of those. I mean, most of them fall into this category, but this is one in particular that I would love to know an actual story behind it, or at least just an explanation. Well, Nick, welcome to Feckless Mom's Story Time. Tuck me in. Regarding cheap day return. Anderson. That was based on a trip to visit my father. In fact, cheap day return and the song Nursey were both drawn from that. At the time, I was away from home and he was in hospital. I had not enjoyed a happy relationship with my father for some years, and around that time, we were starting to get along again. I was very aware that I might not see him again. I'm sure that for a lot of people my age, that's one of the things that you fear. Because when you're thousands of miles away and somebody very close to you dies at that moment, you feel very guilty, very much cut up at being denied an opportunity to make your final farewell with somebody. The possibility of all of this occurred to me on a Preston platform, waiting for a train back down south. So all of that was a sad and slightly nervous moment. I think I wrote that back on on my way back on the train. But I do that on a lot of trains. That was an excerpt from the book, A Passion Play, the story of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull. You know what that was, Omen? What was that? That accent was a mind journey. 
<laughs> it was a drifting accent. It, that one... That one was a little less stable than the last Ian we heard. <laughs> I'll have to go back and uh, listen to the listen to the case files. Where where did I lose it the most? Again, I don't think he would say. Yeah, again. that was a no. That was I don't know what I was thinking. And there were one or two points where you sounded like a twenties like newsman. <laughs> I was very aware that I might not see him again. And I'm sure that for a lot of people my age, you mean like that? I had to get on the trolley. Yeah, some, something. I wish <laughs> I wish I remembered the phrase that, that like really triggered it, but it was where I laughed. Go back and listen to where I laughed. <laughs> I, I felt like a 1920s news announcer a little bit. I apologize to every Brit. And every Scott. And, and every Scott. And to Ian Anderson himself. And to my college voice teacher. We will add this to the list of apologies we owe Ian Anderson. Put it on my tab. <laughs> so there, so there we have it. So, so uh, spot on. Pretty, pretty spot on. It is autobiographical. Spot on. Yeah, yeah. It's literal. The bit that the bit that that gets interesting for me is okay. It's literal. It's literally about this journey. Is the one moment where he comments on the facts, because it. For for most of it, it's really just facts. On press and platform, do your show, your soft shoe suffle dance. I mean, that's the sort of thing that I, whenever I'm waiting for a train and I and I'm anxious for any reason, I, you know, there's sort of a, an aimless walk up and down that you do, yeah. isn't it? But also, also, I think it might be in response to having cigarette ash fall down your pants too. You know, it's ooh ah oh I don't want to burn my my jumblies. Right, and then he wonders if the nurse is treating his old man the way that she should. And then my favorite bit, because it, it actually shows his opinion, is she made you tea, asked for your autograph. What a laugh. Yeah. What are her priorities? Just, well, and, you know, this sort of interesting moment where he's he might be seeing his father for the last time. They finally started to improve their relationship after years of it not being good. And his own success and fame is intruding on that extremely private moment. Yeah. Yeah. What a laugh. It shows us, not that we really needed this. I mean, we, we see bits and pieces of it plenty thus far, but it shows us there's still some humanity underneath the stardom, quote unquote. Yeah, and I think that's why this song is just so sweet. Because it really, it's coming from a very, very vulnerable place. That is exactly the word I was going to use. It is so vulnerable. Yeah. And it's a very short little piece of vulnerability. Yeah. He, he can't do much. <laughs> Whether it's him standing there on the platform and just these, what, like maybe 16 lines come into his head and that's it. Or he didn't feel comfortable showing anymore, or maybe it just, it just fit perfectly, and that was all that he needed, right. you know, in terms of catharsis or whatever. Well, it's the 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 lyrics are are such that they, even though they're very short, they say a lot more than than the thing that they're saying. It reminds me not that the form is like this at all, but it reminds me of a haiku in a way, mm. because you say. You say such few words, and yet, in doing so, you expose this 
this massive space if you if you you know that's the that's the idea i guess yeah negative space is just as important ooh which is sort of the intro in a way hmm yeah he first he first creates this this huge sense of anticipation and and tautness mm-hmm. and then just drops in these little this little examination of a, of a singular moment, which is connected to a much bigger lifetime. The intro to me almost feels like when you're, say you're standing on the platform, you're waiting for the train and your mind is wandering and you let it go to the point where you're not even thinking coherent thoughts, but you're still processing things. Mm. And then it, it's that incoherence kind of builds up into the song, the actual lyrics of that idea. Sort of a sort of a moment, sort of a, a clarity coming to you out of this out of this sort of agitation. Yeah. It's kind of a miasma in your mind and then something comes up out of the fog and you realize what you've been dwelling on. Maybe it's been bugging him for the last two days and he couldn't quite put his finger on it, you know? Right. This is a very imagery heavy episode, Nick. Yeah, it is. It is an episode which bows its branches loaded with the fruit of imagery down into the waiting mouth ears of our faithful listeners, both of them. And no one would be surprised when we reach for the lowest hanging of those fruits. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the rest is sour grapes, isn't it? Grapes don't grow on trees, Omen. Oh, I've been living a lie. <laughs> what were those things I ate? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, it's a short song. It's a short song. Short episode. It's a short song. Short episode. Or is it? What do you got to talk about, Omen? Well, I I don't know if you remember, but certainly our listeners remember how in past episodes occasionally we have reached into the archives and pulled out reviews of the albums yeah yeah well going back to an old friend of ours no no not the same oh, okay not the same one <laughs> but the same the same publication you may okay. have heard of our friends over at rolling stone magazine colleagues at best <laughs> there are bosses in the sense that we've never met and they don't pay us. <laughs> well, July 22nd, 1971 at 4 a.m. for some reason. What? This this report from Ben Gerson came in. It is Ben Gerson. We've seen him before. We, which one was he? He was the he one. He wasn't the awful one, was yeah. he? Yeah. Ooh, he still works for... For Rolling Stone a year later. Why at 4 a.m.? Like, why is that even a, a detail? Um, because he has no friends. That's because 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 Gerson gonna Gerson. That's what they say. Yep. Yep. That's what the kids are saying. Are, are right you now. ready? Yeah. Let me hear. Let me hear. Oh, now, I hope he is just like tail between legs. Now this. Now oh. now now. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? I'm buckled up. I'm ready for this. Dating from at least the electric 
prunes, mass in D minor, rock and religion have evinced an unlikely affinity for each other. Ben! <laughs> There's a lot more to go. Already. <laughs> Eric Clapton, Peter Green, Jeremy Spencer, Peter Townsend, John Lennon, George Harrison, and let us not forget the Reverend Richard Pennyman have all at some point Never dedicated forget. themselves and their music to God in his myriad varieties. On the heel of Tommy and Jesus Christ Superstar, Jethro Tull's Ian Anderson joins this heady list. Tull is one of our most serious and intelligent groups, and Anderson's choice of subject for Aqualung, the distinction between religion and God, is witness to that. Further, Tull has a musical sophistication to match its thematic ambitions. Where This Was, their first album, was aimless and disorganized. He's not wrong. Stand Up, with its dabbling in ethnic and classical forms, was eclectic in the best sense. Okay. Out of that experimentation was forged in benefit a sound which finally provided the, the band with a concrete identity. Huh, Okay. Once a group has arrived at a coherent style, the next logical step is a concept album. Oh! I, I don't know. I, I oh! Would, I would argue with that logic. Ben Gerson, Concept Gate. He's the first one <laughs> in Maybe. 1971 at 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Once a group has arrived at a coherent style, the next logical step is a concept album, and it is on the shoals of concepts that many a band runs aground. Often, I'm pausing for everyone to, to process that nautical metaphor. Often, such albums lack the hint of self-irony, which is basic to great rock and roll, and therefore comes off sounding pompous. Ultimately, an album like Tommy, for example, must stand or fall on its quality as a collection of songs. The thematic gloss is absolutely secondary. Aqualung is the album's lead character and is so named for his roomy cough. That's R-H-E-U-M-Y. Side one consists of a series of CD vignettes drawn from modern secular English life, while the printed lyrics are cast in gothic lettering to emphasize the album's liturgical basis. The title song depicts the beggar in all his shabbiness and lechery. Aqualung is actually three songs. As the different moods of the narrator unfold, the music changes accordingly. The initial melodic statement sung in a harsh, surly voice is ugly and plodding. It then shades into something milder and more sympathetic, then into something which rocks a little more. Another of society's dregs, Cross-Eyed Mary the Slut. I oh. remember this is 1971. Wow, that caught me off guard. Yep. Cross-Eyed Mary, the slut, of the song of the same name, is the object of Aqualung's attentions. Anderson sounds equally disapproving here. I don't know if I agree with that. Mm, yeah. Mother Goose is the kind of song that, I, that Anderson writes best. As in Saucity, on benefit, he uncannily captures the feel of a real Elizabethan madrigal. A consort of uh, recorders here helps to get it across. It's a song about a Hampstead fair and is filled with descriptive detail, which is at once archaic and up-to-date. Lyrics and melody mutually accomplish the same purpose, for both express the continuity of English life. Continuity? For both express the continuity of English life. 
Side 2, subtitled My God, deals more explicitly with religion. The nub of the issue is Christian hypocrisy, how people manipulate notions of God for their own ends. There is some rather obvious talk of plastic crucifixes, Blakeian allusions to locking him in his golden cage, and invective, the bloody Church of England in Chains of History requests your earthly presence at the vicarage for tea. Beneath the accusatory tone is a moving musical theme. Again, the structure is constantly shifting. There are stately hymnal changes, a jazzy flute break, and Poppin's circumstantial motive which, when inverted, assumes a more chromatic modern queasiness. (laughs) I'm feeling modernly queasy. The gamut of religious experience is encompassed in this song. I'm going to skip to the end. Yeah. There is something depressingly anticlimactic about it all. There is a lot of misplaced emotion on this record. Thus, despite the fine musicianship and often brilliant structural organization of songs, this album is not elevated, but undermined by its seriousness. Hmm. Thank you, Ben Gerson. Ben Gerson? Now crawl back under your rock, sir. Go away, Ben. He was the one who wrote, shockingly, Jethro Tull's popular. <laughs> or something. Yeah, I don't. Effect. I don't remember. I don't remember. It was. It must have been for. I think it was stand up. Stand up. Yeah. And he said something to the effect of, "Who needs it? Well, a lot of people, apparently." Yeah, yeah. It was something, something similar to that. Very scathing. Well, he's certainly changed his tune to a certain extent, although he has not he has not cured his Sathoris diarrhea. Oh my god. He has he and you had to really work for it then because you couldn't just like Google it. He had to really want to be he pretentious knew as all get all out. those words. Oh fair enough. I worry that you're right. So what do you think, Omen? Do you agree? I well, he With said any a lot of, of things. I I think I think that he. I'm basing this partly off of what Ian Anderson has said, in mm. wh- where he he denies that it's a concept album, right? And I think that I think that his analysis of like the in, the intentfulness of this record is maybe a little bit misplaced. I think that I think that this is one of those albums that that. Probably, you know, Ian Anderson wrote some killer songs. They were in a certain mood. They recorded a great album. And then people, because this is what people do, tried to make meaning out of it. Yeah. And I think that I think that Mr. Gerson has has labored a little too hard in his efforts to make all of this cohesive under some umbrella of of structured thought. Yeah. It's like it's like when you come up with your thesis in for your paper and right. you have like the barest bones of idea of how to get to that point. So you right. it's already three AM. You stretch and you pick and choose and you ram every disparate idea into that paper that you can just to make it sound feasible. You whack a big old metaphor in the middle. Yeah. And no one's the wiser. I do agree that the band has I, I agree with his his overall analysis of the band's trajectory. I think that Benefit did operate as the sort of underlying structure for what their musical style was becoming. And and then well, I think sure. that they 
they capitalized on it for the next record and, and had a lot of success. Certainly. It was a stepping stone. I'm not sure it needed such derisive, venomous comment on it. I mean, most most bands evolve their sound and you can you can generally see something of a trajectory. Oh, of course. If there's enough variation at all, like some bands are just all the same sound, but if there's enough sure. variation at all, generally you see some sort of path there. Right. I don't think Ben Gerson was breaking news by making that comment. No, certainly not, but I I do think that I do think that he's correct in saying that the band has really arrived in their style. Okay. And that was something that we sort of said maybe two episodes ago with Aqualung, that 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 this really is everything has come together. Ian Anderson has pupated into a a, a flute or fly. A homeless butterfly. A homeless butterfly. Yeah. You know, so I agree with him on on that regard. I, I just think that I think that his analysis of of Ian's takedown of religion is maybe a bit overthought. Yes. Yeah. But on the other hand, we're we're getting a bit ahead of our, of ourselves because we haven't gotten to those songs. And I I think it's peculiar for the writing of this article. He didn't know any better, but we certainly do know the rest of Tull's work, and yet we have said, "Oh wow, Tull has really found their sound. Ian has found his voice, and he's found the sound for Tull." But no album after this sounds like Aqualung. No, but I think it comes down to to confidence and sure. What was the word we were discussing earlier? Vulnerability. That one. And maturity. I think that they've. I think that the out the 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 band and Ian have arrived in a place where they really know who they are. Sure. Okay. I'll give you that. They went through the gauntlet and they're really at a spot where they can be comfortable and really gel together. Right. It's taken a little bit of situating to get to this point. The music, the style, and Ian have been through the crucible and all of the all the impurities have been burnt off and now we have a lump of pure telanium and now we're going to see that shaped into various exquisite forms over the next 45 years. Some forms more exquisite than others. Some forms less droopy than others. <laughs> well, Nick, have we anything else to say regarding Cheap Day Return? No. No, I, I don't think so. Like we said earlier, short short song, so not a whole lot to say about it. But it's, it is a great start to some of the, the more acoustic ones that we're going to see later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Nick? Omen. Do you like trains? I mean, not particularly, no. Really? Yeah. I get motion yeah. sickness. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And I'm not terribly fond of loud noises, so. Oh, I love trains. Do you? Well, yeah. they're your main mode of transportation. Well, I like I like long-distance trains. <laughs> Any other types of trains you like, home? <laughs> I like regional trains. Yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, I like the super-fast trains. Mm-hmm. I I like trains, Nick. (laughs) 
Omen, what are we listening to next week? Next week, we are listening to Mother Goose. Mother Goose. Mm, she's going to tuck you into bed. While you are waiting for Mother Goose in a week. Don't be cheap. Today, return to us a... Return to us the favor. Of telling us how what you think about the podcast. Send us an email. Write us a review. Put some stars attached to that review. Name us, name a star after us if you work for NASA. Sure. Name, name a star. Talk tall to me. Yeah. Yeah. I would go for. A, I'd, I'd take a quasar, frankly. <laughs> Any port in a storm. Any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any stort in a storm. Any stort in a storm. Well. Until next week, I am Omen Sage. And I am Nick McGill. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. The next station is Talk Tall to Me, followed by a proud member and points northward to the Feckless Moms Audio Network. All aboard! <laughs>